Hello, everyone. Today we are going to continue with our career-based podcast discussions and dive into the world of endocrine surgery. Our residents at Brown spend a lot of time rotating on this service during their PGY3 year, and it's always a rotation they look forward to for many reasons. Whether it's the repetitive nature of the procedure, the ability to improve their dexterity working in smaller spaces, or just getting more facile with neck anatomy and dissections, the overall experience of residents on this service is always quite positive. To help put this into better perspective for us, today I'd like to welcome Dr. Travis Cotton to the podcast. Dr. Cotton is an assistant professor of surgery at Brown and one of our endocrine surgeons here. I thought he would be a great guest to have on today to explore some of these finer details about why he chose a career in endocrine surgery and what a day in his life looks like. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cotton. Kenny, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Before we start, can you just go through your educational pedigree for us? Absolutely. I, uh, I grew up in Texas, a small town, uh, and uh, went to undergraduate, uh, got a um, bachelor's of science in um, biomedical science at Texas A&M. Uh, went on to University of Texas San Antonio for uh, my uh, medical school, and then uh, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill for general surgery, and uh, University of Michigan uh, for my endocrine surgery fellowship, and then came here in 2014, I believe it was, uh, to do uh, endocrine surgery here at Brown. Awesome. Uh, I think one of the questions residents really like hearing is, what were some of the deciding factors that led you into this specialty? Yeah, no, I think that's uh, a really important question because specialty selection is obviously very important uh, to um, really for everybody and particularly residents as they're coming through and making their decisions You know, during that five to seven year period. Uh, I can talk some certainly about some of the factors that, that that played into my decision, which you know, hopefully that may may make some some of our residents kind of think about the decisions they're making as they're moving through. Because I think as as in the general surgery paradigm as it is, uh, not specific to our institution, but just nationally, I think there's not as much of an emphasis on specialty selection maybe as I think there could be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, in my opinion, a lot should go into that kind of decision making process because. <laughs> You know, as you know, both in medical school and residency, you're oftentimes really influenced by those great experiences or those great mentors, but that doesn't necessarily travel well in all scenarios or, you know, in everybody's life. And I think sometimes people find themselves pursuing things because of certain experiences or mentors that, that may not quite capture, you know, what would fit them best, perhaps, um, you know, more on a global scale. Um, I chose endocrine surgery, so I, I actually didn't know endocrine surgery existed, I'm embarrassed to say. Uh, until I was probably a second year resident. Um, and uh, we didn't have endocrine surgeons at my medical school. It was more in kind of the surgical oncology or there were some you know, kind of more senior general surgeons who did a lot of the endocrine in medical school. So didn't know a lot about it. Uh, went into a residency thinking, you know, pretty open-minded as a lot of our trainees are. And uh, our third year rotation was our endocrine surgery rotation um, through our division of surgical oncology. And um, you know, I really fell in love with it at that point and uh, really shifted my attention towards uh, pursuing that as a specialty um, from that point forward. And I think a number of things go into that for me. Uh, everybody's different. And um, but for me, I really wanted to take care of some cancer patients, but I didn't want my entire world to be uh, cancer care. Um, I find if every patient has cancer, it's just to me emotionally draining after a while. And so um, I like the fact that I take care of about, you know, 20 to 40% of my practice is cancer. Uh, those, those patients do very well, typically. Um, so there's usually a happy ending. 
Uh, and those patients you have longitudinal follow-up with, and so you kind of get that, that through-the-year follow-up, and, and that's really rewarding. Um, but the other half, or 60% of my practice, they come in with a problem, I take care of it, and uh, see them post-op, and then you know don't necessarily need to keep, keep following up. So to me, that kind of creates a nice blend of uh, long-term follow-up versus kind of immediate uh, fix and uh, you know kind of let, let everybody move on. Um, I also found that personally, I really enjoy uh, kind of that one to two hour operation. Um, if you get too quick, um, then there's just a lot of turnover, a lot of patients to go through the system. Um, I think what I didn't think about when I was a resident is if you're doing a whole lot of cases in a day, I mean, that's that many more patients in clinic you got to see pre-op. That's that many more sets of paperwork you got to do. There's that many more sets of post-op visits you have to do. And so to me, there's kind of a, a, a point of, 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 you know, too many cases in a day. Um, but I also wasn't somebody who wanted to do six, eight, 10, 12 hour cases and, you know, do just one big case all day or, or what have you. So for me, you know, that kind of hour to two hour case is a reasonable number of patients that kind of have to come through the office and the system, um, you know, usually three to five cases a day, depending. Um, it's just kind of a nice sweet spot uh, for me. And endocrine really kind of checks those boxes. Elaborating on that a little bit, what does a normal work week look like for you? I uh, work week for me, I, I do clinic two days a week. Uh, so I, I see patients and, um, you know, COVID, obviously everything's a little off the usual, but uh, we'll generally see in a full day of clinic anywhere from high 20s to low 40s number of patients, kind of just depending on what we have on the schedule. Um, and uh, see those patients, we, I do a lot of uh, ultrasound in the office, which is also great. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really nice to be able to do your own study, uh, read your own study, and then um, be compensated for your, for your own study you're doing. So that's really a great, great aspect. Um, so you're not relying on, um, you know, a lot of others or have to send them around and follow that up and see them back. You can really kind of do a point of care, which, which I think is great. They can come in, I can do their ultrasound, I can do their biopsy, you know, right then and there. And, uh, you know, talk to them about what, you know, what to expect, you know, one way or the other, and then get the results in a week and kind of move forward. And, you know, that's another thing I really like about endocrine surgery and the specialty that kind of what went through my mind when I was choosing it is I also really didn't like to be dependent on a multidisciplinary kind of approach for every patient. I mean, I think multidisciplinary care is great, uh, but you know, when you have to coordinate everything, you know, you have to coordinate a, let's say a needle loc, uh, you know, you got to coordinate radiology, you got to coordinate, you know, with, with, with breast imaging, all those kinds of things. For me, I just, there, there's a lot of coordination that uh, for me, it wasn't as attractive as, you know, just being able to see the patient, do the imaging, do the biopsy, make a surgical plan, operate, and you're, you know, you don't need to, to involve really any other practitioners unless it's obviously an oddball case or something. So kind of having that, I guess, control of the whole kind of start to finish is, um, is really nice. I, uh, I operate three days a week, um, so we stay pretty busy doing three days a week. You know, we talked about the time of the operation, but I also found I wanted to do outpatient surgery. I really like to not have a lot of patients in the hospital. You know, endocrine surgery, I think, is a very technical specialty. Uh, it takes precision, but it's also outpatient. And so um, that was really enticing. I also really like the neck, uh, neck anatomy, and just kind of the, uh, the way neck surgeries unfold um, was really attractive to me as well. And I think one of the things when I was choosing specialty uh, that were important to me too, uh, I didn't enjoy taking care of functional problems um, because I just would get frustrated. You do a perfect operation and their stomach won't empty. And they're, you know, still, you know, still having problems six months later that they're, you know, not emptying their stomach and they're vomiting. And, you know, even though to the best you can tell, everything went perfectly. One thing great about endocrine 
is pretty much everything is very tangible. You know, the PTH drops and they're cured or they're not. You know, after a cancer resection, their thyroglobulin is very low and undetectable or it's not. Um, you know, their, uh, their FEO, their metanephrines normalize or, you know, or they don't, which they always should. But my point being is it's very tangible. Um, there's not really any functional problems uh, that you have to kind of wade through. So you can kind of do the surgery, you know, identify or, or, or show that tangible result and then kind of move on without a real functional kind of burden. Um, so that was another thing that actually went into my decision making when I was kind of making my list of things that were important to me was not having to wade through a lot of functional problems. I think fellowship for endocrine surgery has gotten a bit more competitive over the last couple of years um, in terms of the spots available. What would you say to residents who are considering a career in endocrine surgery and how should they prepare for a fellowship? Yeah, so, I, you know, endocrine surgery is a small, it's kind of a niche specialty. I think it's kind of a niche market. Um, and uh, I think it is kind of competitive because I want to say there's 23, don't quote me on that, but I think around 23 fellowship spots nationally, maybe slightly more. I think when I applied, there were about 16 or 17, so it's grown a little bit. Um, so not a ton of people apply, but I mean, there's always kind of 20 good applicants, I think, of any pool. And so I think it is quite competitive. Um, you know, it's a very small world. So I think, you know, making the proper contacts and kind of networking can be very important because, you know, pretty much everybody, especially in academic endocrine surgery, kind of knows everybody. Um, so I think networking is very important. I think, you know, showing academic interest in endocrine surgery topics, obviously very important. Uh, letters of recommendation. I think trying to get, get things on at the meetings, uh, get to the meetings, things like that, uh, to really let people know who you are. Because when you only have, you know, one fellow and um, it's a very tight-knit community, you know, people really want to kind of know, you know, who they're hanging their hat on and, and who, you know, who's going to represent their program and their fellowship. And so I think, you know, the, if you can put the most personal touch into that, the AAES, the American Association of Integrated Surgeries, are endocrine surgery um, uh, society and has a meeting every year. That one's really, I think, important to go to. But a lot of the endocrine surgeons are pretty heavily involved at the Academic Surgical Congress as well. So I think that'd be another uh, great place to kind of get plugged in to, uh, you know, all the fellowship directors and people at the various programs. You know, getting back to, to choosing it and, and big surgeries is what I find very appealing about endocrine surgery is uh, the complications are, uh, one, I think they're kind of fair in a way. Uh, you know, sometimes let's say you're doing a difficult colon case and, you know, your nastomosis leaks. I mean, everything was perfect. They just didn't heal right and they leak, you know, uh, for your low rectal anastomosis or whatever. Um, you know, in endocrine surgery, like, you know, you either cut the nerve or you don't. You know, you either get the adenoma out or you, or you don't. You either, you know, have hemostasis or you don't. So I feel like the complications uh, can be um, significant, uh, you know, changing someone's voice forever. Uh, permanent hypo uh, hypoparathyroidism, people requiring calcium for the rest of their life. I mean, those are big deals, not life or death, but big deals to people. Uh, but I feel like they're kind of fair complications and, um, you know, you kind of control your own destiny while you're doing those. Um, there are also complications that are very predictable on a, in a time manner. And I, I find that very appealing because I know that if they haven't bled in 24 hours, they're probably not going to bleed. So like if I'm if I have something planned for Saturday, you know, I'm coaching my kid's soccer game or whatever, and I do their case on Wednesday or Thursday, I generally know that I'm not going to get a call Saturday that I've got some emergency. I've got to go take care of one of my patients because the, the, the time window of complication is very predictable. And that was one thing I you know, didn't like as much maybe about another specialty where, you know, the complications are more in three, five, seven days. And, you know, you're about to leave town. Uh, you did this great operation five days ago. And then suddenly, you know, you're starting to, 
to have the complications. So I find that the, the short window of complications and somewhat predictable complications uh, to be very appealing uh, as well. And I think it's important too, unlike some, some of the specialties, thoracic or vascular, you're still going to have your hand in general surgery for the most part when you come out of fellowship or are there programs that are like you're just going to do endocrine and nothing else? I would say, um, I think it depends on the job. Uh, I would say most academic centers uh, would be primarily focused on endocrine, um, particularly if the volume is there um, because, um, you know, if the volume is there, that's, uh, you know, what most people want to grow and focus their attention on. Um, and also, you know, you're working the neck all the time. You're not doing a ton of general surgery. So, you know, unless you really are deliberate about it, you know, complex general surgery may not, uh, you know, be a, uh, you know, a good long-term kind of strategy. Uh, so I would say most academic places are primarily focused on endocrine surgery. I think there's a lot of times when people are starting or, you know, are more like a regional or kind of, um, you know, uh, more of a community setting. Um, there certainly could be a role for endocrine and, and a robust uh, general surgery practice. Um, you know, I think it's a great adjunct if, um, you know, you wanted to go do a, a big private practice group and they wanted somebody with endocrine experience, but to do a lot of general surgery. I mean, I think that could really separate yourself from kind of a typical applicant. But what I'll tell you is most people, once they kind of go down the rabbit hole, do the fellowship and, you know, really see the, you know, the predictability of the cases and things like that. Um, most people kind of want to focus in that direction and not, you know, do a whole lot of general surgery has been the experience I've seen among, you know, colleagues and friends and, and people going down that track. I think one of the, just because it's a popular uh, topic that most people discuss too, work-life balance for an endocrine surgeon. Yeah, I think overall, you know, you know, when residents are picking a specialty, I think one thing that's really important to think about is, um, do you like to respond to a chaotic day or schedule, you know, an efficient, busy day? Um, and I don't think there's a right or wrong there. You know, some of our partners love the thrill of you know, not knowing what's going to happen and thinking on their feet and rolling with the punches. And I, I mean, I think that that's really a skill, multitasking, you know, managing everything, kind of thinking ahead, um, you know, like transplant surgeons, trauma surgeons, you know, vascular surgeons, I mean, um, just to name a few. Um, and so some people really like that, um, the spontaneity. Um, I don't. I, I, I don't like spontaneity. Uh, and I think that's important to know when you're choosing your specialty. Um, I, I really like to efficiency and I like to see how much I can pack into a day, you know, the OR schedule and, you know, doing this case here and this case here and, uh, you know, how efficient can you be? Um, and so, I mean, by and large, you can, I mean, predict the day very, very clearly, which I think does help, um, you know, work-life balance. Cause I, you know, I can kind of predict ballpark, you know, when you're going to wrap up your day, um, you know, what you have, what time you have in between for meetings or, you know, productivity, et cetera. So, um, I find it very predictable, which for me is a good fit, but some people don't like with predictability oftentimes comes repetition. Uh, and so, uh, some people would, would gouge their eyes out cause they're like, I don't want to do the same four operations, you know, every day. Um, for me, they're all different enough and require enough concentration for me that, uh, I, I like that. Um, but I think that's kind of a balance you have to pick, repetition and predictability versus uh, spontaneity and uh, organizing, you know, uh, um, you know what kind of, what, what's happening in real time. So I think that's an important point. Another point I looked at when I was picking a specialty is I, I just do not like the emergency room. Uh, but when you're not dealing with the emergency room, you're dealing with referring doctors. And so, again, there's a, there's a pro and a con there, right? Um, because referring doctors uh, have options on who they refer to. Um, there's expectations there on, you know, kind of not only your performance and the product you're delivering, but patient experience and, uh, you know, how your communication is back with them. 
you know, some may have strong opinions about how a patient should be managed that, you know, you may have to navigate if it's different than yours. Um, I really enjoy interacting and working with people who are very passionate about, you know, these endocrine issues, like an endocrinologist, for example. I prefer to um, spend most of my time interacting with referring docs as opposed to, um, you know, emergency room um, you know, providers. And so again, not good or bad, but some specialties are going to rely heavily on the ER uh, or your practice is going to be heavily, you know, ER based uh, and some it's going to be primarily referral based. And I think that's an important delineation to make of kind of how you want that interaction to be, um, you know, on a regular basis. I think one of the things that I hear residents speak often about is that, you know, they do their endocrine rotation in the third year here is the repetition and being in the OR uh, uh, with you for multiple hours and doing three or four cases in a row. Uh, for those residents who are about to come on your service, is there anything they should do to better prepare themselves for the six weeks with you? Yeah, so I think we really enjoy working with the residents a lot. I think they get a really strong endocrine surgery experience here. Um, I don't think, you know, they're stronger than I got in my residency, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the residents have as many endocrine cases as gallbladders, actually, um, is what I'm being told by by the residents. And um, and I think it's good because I think it's a really good kind of uh, lesson in just, you know, small technical skills, you know, working on your, you know, open open meticulous techniques, um, you know, angles, you're working through a small, small wound, so kind of tension, counter tension, setting things up, you know, neck anatomy. Uh, is relatively foreign to most people coming on. You know, they've, they've done a lot of work in the abdomen. Most of them haven't done a lot of work in the neck. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, as they're coming on, I think really beefing up on neck anatomy, not only in the central compartment, but particularly when we do modified radical neck dissections. Um, you know, sometimes I think the anatomy can be a little hazy, um, not necessarily from not knowing it, but just from not seeing it and understanding those kind of three-dimensional relationships and landmarks that are important. Um, you know, we, I do a lot of tying, you know, on, on real fine vessels with silk and things like that. So I think some of the new third years are people coming out of the lab, you know, kind of um, brushing up on their fine motor skills and things like that. Um, you know, I think if nothing else, we'll teach uh, meticulous hemostasis because, uh, you know, that's kind of part of the game is uh, meticulous hemostasis to minimize your um, bleed risk, especially as we're moving more towards outpatient thyroidectomy. I mean, it's just really important because... Um, you know, a major pleat at home can be can be a big deal, and thankfully we've we've done good at mitigating that with I think uh, you know solid technique. But um, that's what I would say uh, is uh, you know fine motor and uh, particularly anatomy, um, and uh, also you know a lot of the imaging is a little different too. You know, most people haven't read too many Sestamib um, uh, spec CTs. Uh, most people haven't read a whole lot of neck ultrasound, and so. I think, you know, brushing up maybe on some of those, uh, you know, there's some decent book chapters on neck ultrasound or endocrine ultrasound, um, yeah, expect imaging. I think that's important. Like you do do a lot of work with, as you said, point of care ultrasound. And, you know, we have a small curriculum on getting residents competent in ultrasound. Uh, and there's multiple societies that other departments go through to get um, credentialed in ultrasound. Where was your, was that something in fellowship that you focused on? getting? Yeah, so if, I, I think if anybody's going to do endocrine in their practice or do endocrine surgery, you want to really think about that because uh, the credentialing, you know, can be, I wouldn't say sticky, but you got to make sure you're checking the boxes. And so uh, having a, uh, if I was choosing an, uh, a fellowship for endocrine surgery, kind of your question earlier, I would definitely go somewhere that utilizes surgeon ultrasound because um, there are some places that just send everybody to radiology. And um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just think you can really 
grow a lot and learn a lot of just anatomic relationships and understand you know exactly where that adenoma is or where the cancer that nodule is on the thyroid how close it is to the margins you know there's just so much you can understand by doing it yourself uh, and so I would personally target programs that, that do their own fellowship and then you can keep a log so I kept a log and so when you apply um, for uh, insurance basically reimbursement most of them will ask for like you know your kind of case volume and, and fellowship credentials and so um, I submitted that, you know, I, I graduated from a fellow uh, endocrine surgery fellowship and here's how many, you know, ultrasounds and biopsies I did. Uh, there's also um, endocrine surgery at the AAS, the Endocrine Surgery Society. There's a fellow uh, kind of conference basically for a week uh, right before the meeting and all the fellows go. And uh, part of that is ultrasound heavy. And so you get a kind of a certificate from completing this week of like extra training uh, from, they call it Endocrine Surgery University. And then, um, and then also there's a, a really great uh, ultrasound course. I actually teach. Uh, I say it's great, but I, uh, it's not great because I teach there. But it's a great course uh, that I've, I've taught the last couple of years uh, on ultrasound at the American College of Surgeons. Um, and so you get a certificate if you you can sign up and participate in that. So I kind of did all three of those and then submitted all that to insurance. Um, because there's nothing wrong with doing it, but if you want to get paid for it, you have to have, I think, some degree of uh, paper trail. Um, and so after I did those three and submitted everything, I haven't had any problems with uh, billing or collections. And I'll tell you, it makes a big difference, you know, in, in when you can bill for imaging, uh, performance and interpretation uh, and the procedure. You know, it makes a big difference from just a regular clinic visit with regard to revenue streams. And... I, not, not to mention, I think the, the clinical impact is, is very positive. So if you can have a positive cl clinical impact and a better revenue stream, like that's to me a no-brainer. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and that's why I think Dr. Mazzai and I are very uh, strong proponents of surgeon-directed ultrasound uh, for these patients. Well, I think this is a great insight in, into your world and, and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. I think residents are really going to appreciate this talk, so I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I've, I've listened to all the podcasts and uh, well, thank you. I, think, I think they've, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've subscribed yet, but I will, <laughs> I will. Uh, no, it's been great. And I think uh, doing some topics that, um, you know, hopefully residents can kind of learn from and, you know, my, my decision making or experiences, uh, you know, are, are certainly uh, not all encompassing, but maybe give people insight into when they're making that decision because, you know, you have to make it pretty early. You have to start looking for, you know, where are you going to focus your, your potential, you know, attending those meetings and making those relationships and building mentorship, um, you know. And so I think if nothing else after listening to this, I, I hope, you know, we talked a little bit about my specialty, but just in general, I hope residents put a lot of thought into their specialty because, you know, the cool stuff is cool of every specialty, you know. It just is. The cool stuff is really great. Um, but the cool stuff isn't the day-to-day -day grind. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's really important that you have to like the bread and butter daily grind. And I have found the, the daily grind of endocrine surgery is great. You know, parathyroidectomy, thyroidectomy, and those are the, the grindy cases. Then I think that's a, a pretty good existence. And, you know, there's some specialties that, you know, people are so thankful exist. And there's really not much competition. I mean, I think endocrine surgery is on the exact other end of the spectrum, right? You know, complications should be very low, um, you know, and uh, and a lot of people want to do it. So it's somewhat of a competitive marketplace, uh, you know, when you get out looking for jobs or looking for patients, you know, in, in, in the community. There's there's uh, a lot of surgeons, you know, maybe older general surgeons or ENTs or what have you really, you know, want to do these cases. And 
<laughs> the uh, you know because sometimes it is sometimes in a way it's it's high pressure if, if complications should be very low you know you feel like when one happens like it shouldn't have ever happened you know and complications happen to everybody so you know it is a little boutique it is a little bit of a boutique specialty in the sense that patient you, the patient experience really matters and you you know patients have to go back and tell the referring doctors that they had a good experience and that you delivered a good product uh, and if you're not able to do that. And as you know, Kenny, sometimes it's not only delivering a good product, but it's the patient walking away knowing that you delivered a good product, right? Yeah. You know, whether that's how their dressing is or how their incision ends up looking, you could do a perfect operation. But, you know, if if these little, you know, kind of small things aren't done really well, the patient may not feel that way. Yeah. And so part of it is making sure the patient walks away with a good product and feeling like they had a good product. And so, uh, you know, that's where really attention to detail uh, comes into play, uh, you know, I think when you're building or, or running a, a endocrine surgery practice. Well, I want to thank you again. I think this is uh, going to be great insight for the residents. So thank you for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Kay. Thanks. This concludes this week's episode of the Brown Surgery Podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Travis Cotton again for joining me today. Next week, we're excited to kick off our Chief Surgical Podcast with Dr. Paulina Chimievsky, who is going to talk to us about her effort this year in bringing the topic of narrative surgery to our wellness curriculum. Stay tuned for that and other upcoming discussions with our chiefs on crushing compartment syndrome, esophageal perforation, and management of patients undergoing a HIPEC. Have a great week, and I'm looking forward to having you back with us in the next episode.